everyone. Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 58, and I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's first season episodes, We'll Always Have Paris, Conspiracy, and The Neutral Zone, so that we can close out season one. Let's get started. We'll Always Have Paris, Season 1, Episode 23, Production Number 124, Original Air Date, May 2nd, 1988, Directed by Robert Becker, Written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer, Music Composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Michelle Phillips as Janice Mannheim, Rod Loomis as Paul Mannheim, Isabel Lorca as Gabrielle, Dan Kern as Dean, Jean-Paul Vignon as Edouard, Kelly Ashmore as Francine, and Lance Spellerberg as Transporter Chief. While traveling traveling to Sonorna 8 for shore leave, the Enterprise crew experiences a bizarre phenomenon in which a moment in time mysteriously repeats itself. Shortly thereafter, the ship receives a distress signal from Vandor 4, where Dr. Paul Mannheim has been conducting experiments in nonlinear time. After rescuing Dr. Mannheim and his wife, Janice, who turns out to be Ricard's first love, the crew learns that Mannheim's experience not only caused the time distortion they experienced, but cracked a window into a new dimension. You've done well. A great starship on the far reaches of the galaxy. It's everything you'd hoped. Uh, not exactly. Nothing works just as you hope. If you can't tell us anymore, I need to send a team down to the lab. You can't. It's protected. Adam. Why don't you start us off on this one? Uh, this episode, I mean, it's it's. I liked it. It's you get a little bit of a look into more into um, Picard. Um, I was a little afraid. It's been a while since I've seen this episode. I was a little afraid, you know, when he goes into the holodeck and they, he's going through all that um, self indulgence. I thought it was going to be almost like um, Geordi Vision, where they just take it too long. But they, they ended it short where Picard gets mad. Enough of the self-indulgence. And, um, yeah, that was nice. And, yeah. and it, so that's how they should have done Jory Vision. Just shorten it up <laughs> a little bit. But um, um, as far as the first se- um, season episode, um, this one's solid. Um, I enjoyed it, even after not seeing it for years and years. Um, it's got a little bit of si- – I did enjoy, like, the science part about it. That's one thing that I think if they ever did make a new um, – um, Star Trek series, I would enjoy seeing all the new scientific innovations that have come across in the last 25 years because they talk about all, you know, the time and stuff like that. And, you know, I watch a lot of Science Channel. And even from then till now, there's a lot of different scientific dis- discoveries that um, could be implemented into a new show. So it's a lot of the, the tech talk that I kind of enjoyed in this show. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, this is kind of memorable, I think. I, I mean, at least when I was watching, I was thinking about a scene. I think it has to do with all the, the kind of weird, creepy time dilation stuff, you know, where stuff repeats itself and they, how they handle that. I, I remember all those things happening because somehow it's a little creepy or something. But, you know, um, with Picard, yeah, like you mentioned, Adam, about Picard, uh, learning some more about him. And we, uh, we see this. This is one of these things where, okay, so he runs into this old girlfriend in space by happenstance. And I'm not one to dwell on believability with plots much often, especially in a sci-fi series. But, you know, I live in the Kansas City area, and I'm shocked if I see someone I know at Target. And, <laughs> and he runs into his old girlfriend in outer space. I don't know. But anyway, it's it's fun and it's I think it's memorable. Yeah, you know it has it has enough problems. Um, 
you know, and, and big ones, things that kind of that break it a bit um, to hold it back. But overall, uh, for a first season episode, yeah, it's okay. It's got a couple of moments that I enjoyed, that I still enjoy. I think if this had been even a third season episode, no. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would have too many of these these issues yeah so like like picard going to the restaurant i, I agree that's that's probably the, my favorite moment in the whole piece is when he says when he just stops himself enough of this self-indulgence and leaves i think it's, it's like the truest point thing to the character i i do like that um but there's just too many weird things like things that again these are the kind of things maybe you don't think about so much if other aspects of the episode are better but you start to think about them, and then you think, okay, well, maybe this is the reason that it's not as good as maybe they'd hoped. Like, uh, what's her name? Janice or Janice? Janice. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's weird at all that, I mean, she's been with this other guy, married to him for, what, two decades? Mm-hmm. And now she's, now just because the other guy is like, I don't know, sort of in a coma or something, <laughs> what is she doing with Picard? What is she expecting from that? I, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. They don't greet each other like, oh, they greet each other like, there's still something weird between us because 22 years ago we didn't sign. <laughs> but no, I've got, I've had an entire life since then, and I'm married to this man that's dying in sick bay. This should not be. This isn't her reaction. Is not the appropriate character reaction. <laughs> well, just, well, I don't know. It feels well, like, I don't know. like first. Well, I don't know. She does say that we have unfinished business, and if you kind of think about it, I mean, if that happened to you. When, I mean, it's just kind of closure. I know, I know it kind of seems weird. She's a little bit, like, too kind of flirty with him. So maybe I can kind of see where you're coming with that. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, if I, I started thinking about it, if that kind of happened to you or if you, by chance, did that to somebody, I mean, that's like, that's you, there's no closure there. It's just um, it's just kind of like a left open well, wound that I you like kind that of ignore. Of the story. You know, I should have grabbed it if you, if you read uh, Nemechek's uh, Next Gen Companion. He has a great little paragraph in there. So, you know, these last few episodes we're discussing today, these last few episodes of season one, uh, were produced right at the beginning of the the big writer's strike that's going to affect just these last couple episodes of season one and a fair chunk of season two. That's why season two is going to be shorter. Um, And this, this script in particular... Uh, went through so many nutty, like last-minute changes. It's very, very, very different from the very first draft. And in the first draft, there was there was a lot more of this relationship between Picard and Janice, and they actually spent a night together, that kind of thing. Um, sure. And it was supposed to be that Picard does the crazy thing, right? Uh, <laughs> which does the date? Yeah, I found a couple of uh, I found different reports. Like one one place said it was. Roddenberry that nixed that. One other place said Patrick Stewart nixed that. But at any rate, um, kind of the bold, risky stuff this episode was originally designed to do was all nixed. Uh, I can't say the other version was going to be better. Um, we're going to talk about some of that stuff with um, the other episodes today, too. Uh, but <clears throat> it feels a little bit like disjointed. Like, the, for example, I, I really like that little moment, the time time shifty moments, the hiccups mm-hmm. they call them. I think yep. those are cool. I like I think I like the last one a lot. You know, when, mm-hmm. when uh, data actually seals up the fissure or whatever it is and it you see it. feels to me like data. a music video or something. I mean it's like a little thing in and <laughs> of itself. I enjoyed it, yeah. But I but I but I clearly remember that image. It's like a cool image, you know? It's mm-hmm. a cool moment. Um and I haven't seen this episode in 
many, many years, right? Um, so that I still remember that as something. Like, I like those moments. I think that's kind of neat. Um, but I don't necessarily connect them with this episode, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I think that those, those kind of things are um, great hints at what's going to come in Next Gen, you know, because some of those, those mess-with-time episodes from Next Gen are some of the best, you know? There's going to be several of those, but they're all great. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it, it, it doesn't seem like, like this is the same episode where, uh, you know, those time things are, is the same episode where uh, uh, Picard and Janice are in Paris on the holodeck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that maybe this episode kind of suffers from like a first season thing where you know they can't quite haven't figured out how to make a A story and a B story work, so they're kind of like intertwined a bit, you know. Yeah, and it kind of makes them both suffer because they don't have enough to do with each other. We've talked right. about like we talked a lot about in our DS9 discussions about how when they're thematically unified it strengthens the episode, and unfortunately the opposite I think can be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not it kind of takes power out of each storyline. Yeah, I don't think they've gotten there yet. I mean, they per- they obviously perfect it down the line, but in the first season, you don't really see a good A and B story. They're kind of disjointed, and I think that's kind of a theme throughout this first season. You know, we'll probably talk about that more when we wrap it up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the, the tech aspect, the science part of this episode. I thought it was really cool, that whole time thing. And Yeah, that moment when they're on the, the turbo lift, mm-hmm. and, like, mm-hmm. the door opens, and they're, they're saying, yeah, that's cool, you know, the stuff like that mm-hmm. is cool. Um, I wrote one thing I wrote down. I want to mention Steve. I know, but you don't like it, or at least you said something that implied you didn't like it. It really had that original series ending. Oh yes, yes. I, I had the exact note in here. I mean, it was like you know, the little music was exactly the same. It yeah, felt it the same even, you know. And it's like, <laughs> okay, okay, it it laughs. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was funny. <laughs> you know, something um, else I did like that they just barely touch on, and I and we've discussed this before. How I think I think it's definitely one of the the unfortunate. Uh, things that kind of fell through the cracks in Next Gen was the Crusher-Picard relationship. And you see some of that jealousy here. And then we lose her for a season. And, you know, it just kind of is hit and miss the whole series But with them, too. But I, I like seeing that, you know, that kind of hint at, okay, she's upset because of Picard's old flame there, you know, and stuff. And it, and it gives it more power, too, because it's not just us, the audience, thinking this or wondering mm-hmm. about it because we have that scene which is a nice scene where um troy comes in to see her and says and mm-hmm. you know what i'm here about you know like, okay we're not the only ones that know about this you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's evident to the other people it's certainly evident to troy who can feel things admittedly but um and that's a nice little character moment that they didn't have to have you know mm-hmm. so I, yeah i like that i like that scene um I, you know it, so it's it. This episode is fine for season one. It's not good. I don't know. I don't, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, the oh, the other thing that really I think holds it back probably more than any other single factor that we haven't even mentioned. I don't think there's really any chemistry between um, the woman that plays Janice and uh, Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. I, there's there's like none at all. And 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 it kind of um, yeah. There was more chemistry. There was more chemistry between the first girl he was talking to in the holodeck than those two. Yeah, there was, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it yeah, I couldn't. I don't know if you guys thought the same thing too. I couldn't help but think: Is it just coincidental that this chick is waiting for someone in the holodeck, or has it got to the point where 
by that time, everything's recording everything, so that literally is the person, and it's that creepy that it would keep track. Oh, on this date in Paris, you know, she was waiting for her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's the scary thought. That's not what my interpretation was, because when Picard first comes in there and he tells this story to uh, the, the waiter, and then maybe the computer just, you know, on yeah. the fly changed the storyline. But yours think. is a far scarier. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I think that's their intent too, but it's just fun to think about that, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a little bit more too coincidental. But then you think back to the the binar episode, and then it's like, well, the, the kind of on the other it, hand, the the, the, the holodeck kind of tailors itself to you. I think mm-hmm. they kind of get away with that down the line using the holodeck kind of. Yeah, like, on the other hand, that woman was so pretty that I really wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, you <laughs> like the test, like all of us did. I I really liked what she wasn't wearing. <laughs> um. You know, so so this episode is fine for season one. I I don't I don't dislike it. Uh, it's got it's got a couple of cool moments. In some ways, it held up better than I remembered. In some ways, maybe not as well. Um, but ultimately, um, it's probably worthwhile because I think it actually is trying to be about something. Um, and and we're going to discuss that right now, <laughs> and and maybe it holds it back because whatever it's about, it's not it's it's spending half its time on on a B storyline that doesn't have anything to do with it, and then doesn't um, doesn't support it. But um, Steve, what do you got for what this is about? Well, um, I think I think it's a I, you know what I what I what I, I actually I hadn't thought of that about this much until we started talking about it, but. I think what would have made it better is somehow tying those stories together better. And the commonality is time. The commonality is missed opportunities, that everything has its time and its place. And uh, you ultimately can't, you can't go back, you can't change it, or disaster occurs. You know, in, in the case of you know, um, Picard and, and, and his lady friend that he didn't go meet, I mean, they, um, that's, that's the past. You, know, you have to leave it as what it is. Um, then you have... Um, you have Mannheim, who's trying to control and manipulate time with disastrous consequences. So I think it's the past is the past, and you know, manipulating time is a, a mistake and not practical. Well, I like this idea that you know we all we all make choices that affect the course of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all can look back, you know, in, in retrospect, we can all look back and see see how our lives took an entirely specific and new. Um, and, and um, very directed direction because of a choice that we made at one particular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can kind of look back at our lives and probably sum up those choices. I don't know, maybe, what do you got? Maybe half a dozen or something mm-hmm. um, that were that big and everything else after that was different or had, had consequences because of it. And I liked the, I liked the, examine, the idea of examining one of those moments in your mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. You know, which is what this episode is momentarily trying to to do um it's and it's certainly told very clear that you know, Picard made a choice you know career over personal life um and that's certainly in keeping with the the character of the captain of the enterprise that we know um but it doesn't it it, it it, it it asked this question for just a moment, and yeah, I think that I think you're right. Maybe if if they if they tied those things together about by and used uh, time and the consequences of time or 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 
going back and making a change. It, you know, it makes you think of uh, Tapestry, of course, mm-hmm. the It's a Wonderful Life episode, which asks this exact question about these these uh, fateful moments in your life. And um, for Picard, how making a bold choice uh, defined his character forever. And here, it's almost like his his the fact that he put it this way you you think about tapestry he decided to intervene to stand up to this bully that's an action right mm-hmm. but here we're saying this moment he was too afraid to do anything you mm-hmm. know it's almost like the direct <laughs> yeah. you know it, it it starts off from a place of weakness yeah. the story i mean not the character so um so maybe you know it's asking an interesting question but it it never quite answers it or says why we should even ask it um it, it doesn't keep it unified with the b story and um uh, those are my thoughts uh adam what do you think it's about um just to kind of maybe add on a little bit to more what you guys said i mean i kind of agree you know it's the choices you make in life and being knowing who you are because of those choices that you made and then um obviously in this episode it kind of get it's wrapped up in a nice neat bow there's that that kind of closure for um for wrongs that you've done because he kind of Picard obviously wronged her he was you know he was it was a cowardly act just to leave her there without any saying anything and so there was an unclosed moment between Picard and um Janice and so it was kind of nicely healed up and wrapped up in a in a nice neat bow but we're going to see this theme for um, several characters in um, in this series, you know, we'll see it with Riker about the choices he's made yeah. for career versus you know personal relationship, and we'll see this theme again with um, Picard. Um, I don't know. I, I think for those two mainly, we kind of see it. I don't know about. I can't recall too many others. That you know, I like that moment well, whenever she actually says they have their second. They have the second scene on the holodeck restaurant, um, where she comes in. At, and it's a very quick goodbye, and it does, that actually that scene actually felt like she was reacting to the situation appropriately for for mm-hmm. this woman that's been married for twenty years. That scene felt appropriate. Um, it's it's quick. She takes one drink. They don't sit down. Um, I kind of like that moment. Um, yeah. But I will say that my favorite scene in this episode is like when Data goes to the the planetoid thing and he's having to deal with the phaser and they're. <laughs> What is his reaction? That's probably the closest you'll see Data to being angry <laughs> or annoyed that he didn't get all the proper codes. Just the look on Prince Spider. And that scene you're mentioning—that's another one of uh, Steve's patented. Who's that guy? Oh yeah, I wrote <laughs> yeah, yeah. that guy down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean he doesn't look anything like Spider when he's doing his little dive somersault thing. It's like it's like make me up and give me a wig and do it and that's what it looked like you know yeah. just like arbitrary you know anybody it really makes me think of of spaceballs and how they just <laughs> yeah. they make a complete joke out of it by making the person look really look not they don't even try it's supposed supposed to look totally different you know it's like the guy with the the long hair is playing the woman I don't know yeah um, yeah so that's 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 not it, was it obvious the HD must make it worse right it wasn't this bad in SD no right this bad no yeah yeah uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about. Did, did I'm sure you, Steve uh, watched it in HD. Adam, did you watch it in HD? Um, this episode, no. I actually watched it on Netflix. Um, the thing about Netflix is, is like for the first five minutes, it really looks crappy, and then it cleans up and it looks really nice. Um, I could actually notice on Netflix that it was Inspire. So, well, I wanted to ask HD specifically because this new HD, this so this episode has 
two seconds of SD footage is the only two seconds they couldn't find from season one. It was it was, it was a Riker because I remember yeah. When, yeah, some scene yeah. of Riker. I said that looks weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's a two second shot of Riker. It's it's the scene. Uh, Riker and Picard are standing up. Data sitting down at a computer terminal and they're having a quick conversation. And it kind of you know kind of made me think about because it it really stuck out to me. Um, would it have been? And and I know folks, this is slightly off topic. Um, so I'll make it very brief. Would it have been so unacceptable for them to just slightly recut that scene? If they'd extended the data, you know, data has a line. Riker doesn't have a line. It's just mm. a reaction shot. If they'd extended data one more second and then extended Picard one more second, I have to look at it again. I don't remember if that exact fix would have worked, but probably they could have just ever so sli- ever so slightly recut it. Yeah, it makes sense. Then then we wouldn't have had this SD. Um, I think I would have been okay with that, but Maybe there would be purists that would be like, "Oh my God, no, you can't do that." Hmm. What, what, do you, what would you guys have felt with something about that? I wouldn't have. I'm not, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I, I understand the point of them doing the SD. They want to keep the show um, um, available to people with all the new HD TVs, and um, that's great and everything like that. But um, it doesn't bother me watching it on an SD. It doesn't bother me watching it on HD. I still know that it's 20 years old. I mean, even watching it on HD, I'm like, yeah, this is a 20 year old show. It's still dated. Well, I'm just curious if, if they had done a very slight re-edit on, you know, that, so they could keep it in HD. Yeah. Would that would that have been offensive? It, I think that's a case by case thing. In this case, what you described, I'd be fine with. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just curious. Well, if it's only two seconds, yeah, you can probably cut unless there's dialogue in there. I mean, that's needed. Then well, yeah, why not cut no, it? He's, out? He doesn't have a line. So yeah, you can cut it. Yeah, there's yeah. no point in keeping it in there. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Six degrees for we'll always have Paris. Adam. Dan Kern plays Lieutenant Dean, the fencing partner that experiences a moment in time with Captain Picard. In Voyager's second season, he played First Minister Kellen of Rakosa 5 in the episode Dreadnought. Which member of Voyager's crew spends the majority of this episode trying to disable the Cardassian weapon from impacting Kellen's planet? Um, would that be Bellana? You are correct, Bellana Torres. Steve, mm-hmm. Michelle Phillips plays Picard's old flame, Janice Mannheim. She was best known for being a founding member of what musical group that scored, among others, the 1960s hit California Dreaming? The Mamas and the Papas. You are correct. I know that wasn't exactly six degrees, but <laughs> I wanted to give Steve a music question. Moving on. Conspiracy, Season 1, Episode 24, Production Number 125, Original Air Date, May 9th, 1988, Directed by Cliff Bowl, Story by Robert Sabaroff, Teleplay by Tracy Torme, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Henry Darrow as Admiral Savar, Ward Costello as Admiral Gregory Quinn, Robert Shinkan as Commander Dexter Rimmick, Ray Reinhardt as Admiral Aaron, Jonathan Farwell as Captain Walker Keel, Michael Berryman as Captain Ricks, and Ursuline Bryant as Captain Trilas Scott. The Enterprise receives an emergency message for Captain Picard from Starfleet. An old friend of Picard, Captain Walker Keel, has sent the message and demands a secret meeting at an uninhabited planet. When Picard arrives, Captain Keel and two other Starfleet officers tell Picard they suspect a growing conspiracy in the upper ranks of Starfleet that could threaten all of the Federation. I believe it is a clandestine attempt to control vital sectors of Federation territory. This could be a prelude to an invasion. But who's behind it? There's insufficient data to make such an assessment, sir. 
Are you suggesting that we warp over to Starfleet headquarters and demand to know what's going on? Why not? Okay. We've kind of been um, making fun of this episode as the season has gone along, in a, you know, because <laughs> uh, we remember it as being pretty awful. Um, what struck me in watching this, and this is the this is probably the honestly, this might have only been the second time I've watched I've seen this episode. I, it could have been uh, twenty years since I've seen this episode. Um, so I darn near forgotten it completely. Uh, you and me, Klingon. Yeah, except for the stuff coming out of the mouth. I think I remember that. Mm-hmm. But 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 what struck me, what surprised me, was how actually decent I thought this episode was for about the first half. I thought the teaser was very good. It was very exciting um, with uh, setting up... Well, okay, skipping LaForge telling Data a sex joke. Is that what was going on there? Yeah. Uh, skipping that. Uh, um, you know, Cap- Code 47, Captain's Eyes Only. And he has the great line, the the other admiral, other managing admiral or captain? He's captain. Uh, something is beginning. Don't trust anyone, Jean-Luc. I mean, that's kind of... That was kind of interesting, and then they have the meeting on the mining planet, and that was kind of interesting, and um, and then um, uh, the what's it called? Which what's the name? The ratio. The ratio was destroyed. I actually thought all of that was decent. I thought was I remembering this episode wrong? No, no. And then it just drops off a freaking cliff. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> the ratio has been destroyed. All hands lost. Let's have dinner. Yeah, that's when they go back to Earth. That's when it, yeah. You Let's have dinner home. at Starfleet, where Starfleet looks like it, <laughs> like there are three people that work there. <laughs> <laughs> I think more people work at the IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And it there's and it's just wretched from there to the end. <laughs> Did you guys have the same kind of feeling as me, or was it all yeah. bad? Or I kind I mean, I really like the idea. I think probably this is one of those episodes that looked really a lot better on paper than it panned out on the on the screen um simply probably it's just can disconjoined because what's uh, what's the guy's name who gets his head blown off at the end of the, the episode yeah that's the annoying guy from that other uh remick. Yep. Remick. remick yeah but i mean there's no i mean you know all of a sudden he's this guy who wants to be you know he seems like a, a good guy and not a good guy in the last episode but he's a, he's a starfleet guy who wants to do his job and impress and then in the next this episode he's like he's an alien it just doesn't quite fit i i don't know it just Except. So, this, uh, who wrote this one, Steve? This is, uh, well, the story is Robert Sabaroff, uh, teleplay Tracy Torme. Okay. So, I think it was Torme, but uh, originally this story was to be that this conspiracy that, that um, as Steve just mentioned, was hinted at in the previous episode where we saw Remick and uh, Quinn. Yeah. Um, originally, it was supposed to be that this conspiracy was basically a bunch of bad apples, actual Starfleet people who were um, trying to take over Starfleet, or you know, there was some kind of a conspiracy. Uh, and so that would have been Rod- a lot better. Yeah. Well, Gene Roddenberry said, "No way, Starfleet is perfect. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. It has to be something else, like aliens." So okay. if scorpions go in your mouth and possess you, then you can do it because right, that's because an alien influence. It's the alien influence. That's right. So yeah, I think it would definitely, and that's how it was. The story was originally written was to be, you know, humans, which of course, um, you know, 
uh, rest in peace, Gene Roddenberry. Once he was no longer with us, we did start doing that storyline. DS9 did that storyline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. They it worked really well. Good. Yeah, they had a two-part episode, which we liked on Earth. Um, and, you know, and aside from that, the other things to complain about here is this is the first time we go back to Earth. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they never did that in the original series, not in their own timeline anyway, right? Um, I don't believe so. I don't, believe I don't so. think we ever did. If we went back to Earth in the original series, it was only like, you know, um, to, to, uh, in back in time or something. Right. Um, but we never like went and saw Starfleet. You know, that was well, what well, made the, the first movie so exciting to me even mm-hmm. as a little kid was, oh my God, we're seeing Starfleet on Earth. Yeah. You know, um, so that should have been a really exciting moment the first time in a TV series going back to Earth in Star Trek. Um, it really and wasn't. It wasn't. Um, and they, the only and thing. It just felt so small. It just feels so small and pointless and insignificant. Not pointless, insignificant. What were we going to say, well, Adam? Well, I said the, the best part of them about going back to Earth is just the, the moon shot with the Enterprise going over the moon and you see Earth and, you know. Yeah. That was, that, that, to me, that was the best part because I remember that from they used that, kind of that similar shot in the last episode of Battlestar. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where Galactica went. <laughs> they, 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 should have, <laughs> <laughs> they, they should have... Spoiler alert. They should have foreseen um, this issue. They should have known that, okay, we don't have the money or maybe the smarts to do this justice to them going back to Earth, so let's make this end in a different way or, or something. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're right. That's, that's when it all gets crazy. It, it's so lame when they go to Earth. The effects are hilarious. I mean, I don't know how else <laughs> to put it. I mean, it's so goofy. It's funny. You yeah. know what I mean? It looks like... I think it's, it looks, I think it's actually stop motion. It is. It looks... looks yeah, yeah, it looks like I'm, all of a sudden I'm watching Wallace and Gromit or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just so jarring. Whatever, you know. So yeah, they just they just made a bad choice. They're, yeah, I agree. I think that the the mystery, the intrigue, makes it interesting. But then when they delve into that, okay, they 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 just didn't have the they didn't have they didn't have the plan and or the money to do that justice. They needed to do in it a different way somehow. I don't know what. Yeah, it seemed well, like, I mean, oh, go ahead. Well, I think we we can allude back to this. I think probably the original story would have worked a lot better with um you know these actually yeah. be Starfleet people, and they probably just did the best they could with, you know, they had to put something out and they were told they couldn't do what they wanted to do and it's like, well, alright, let's just do this. Now, what surprised me was in my, in my research for the reception, uh, my research of the reception for this episode at the time of its original airing, there was, there was a rather large uproar apparently about how gruesome some of these effects were at the yeah. end, mm-hmm. how dark they were, and, and that is definitely true. This is probably the most gruesome and darkest I can think of Star Trek being, maybe. And certainly the most gruesome, like you, you, that frame you see of Remick's, like, melted... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I've read this was cut in some countries. They edited that so out. It was cut in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really the only comment I met, I read. Uh, but as far as everybody feeling like it was really just a terrible episode, I didn't seem to find that reaction. Hmm. Surely we are not alone no. in, in feeling this way, but I couldn't, I couldn't actually find that a lot of people agreed with that concept. Listeners, uh, do you agree? Write us. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, so it was, uh, yeah, it, was, it was not good. But I, I really was surprised at how decent I thought the first, the first half was. And then it's just like, bam. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Uh, even like, oh my god! Even like the whole bit with Quinn on the ship and the, the fight. The fight. Oh, is the who's latest. that guy? It's, it's, it's that hilarious. Guy. 
It's massive. Who's that guy? But even if it when it was, if it wasn't, and it is, but even if it wasn't, who's that guy? It's like the lamest fight ever. Which again, <laughs> should I be complaining about the fight choreography? No, but come on. It's a. It's a. The only thing I agree with. It's hilarious. It's. It is hilarious. And I'm thinking, why did they have to have a stunt guy to have have him push him? He's not even like actually pushing him. You know? <laughs> You're gonna have the stunt guy. <laughs> I want to see some force. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was it was lame. It was kind of neat. Crusher got to save the day with a phaser, no less. Uh, awesome. That never happened. That's crazy. Um, oh, Jordy always gets tossed around. And that weird like shot, almost like a like the camera was attached to Quinn's body or something when he's or maybe it was in slow mo. I'm not even sure. But like he's walking like one after after he throws Riker down one of the first times and he starts kind of yes. walking to him. Like a zombie or something. Yeah, it's a weird shot. I don't know. Um uh, I, I don't I don't like to complain about these sorts of things, but folks, this episode is not good. Well at least they never went back to this, you know, they kinda allude to it towards the end, like, ooh, they sent him beacon message out and thank god they never went back to it it's 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 a bit of a shame because and i understand i understand what roddenberry was about it that we couldn't have seen this but you know they could have taken another direction they could have you know found somebody that's part of this conspiracy and there's still a potential something else deeper or whatever and it just hangs in there and we could see something else i mean you know it's an interesting notion but yeah it could have been the romulans infiltrating starfleet you sure. know yeah yeah mm-hmm. Somebody probably just got pissed off and was like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to put this shit up. <laughs> yeah, and then fundamentally, too, you think about, you know, if I, if I try to take the episode seriously so that I can analyze what's wrong with it, which is hard to do, right? Um, you know, it's like, it was such an incredibly complex, uh, complex conspiracy, right? They talk about all these things, and Data does the research, which we should talk about that scene in a second. Data does the research, and it comes back. I, I believe this is a clandestine, uh, very complex... Um, deliberate move to take over Starfleet, and it's taken mm-hmm. the place over the course of many months, and it's been very, you know, organized and intelligent, and it's at the highest levels of Starfleet. All, all these things are true, and it's like completely undone in five minutes, <laughs> so easily, by the first chip that happens to come home and ask about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like what? Because they, because they, yeah, for for what, for what reason, you know, like they just can't contain themselves. They just have to eat their worms right now and talk <laughs> about it, you know. What, what? They're Ferengi. That was a Ferengi delicacy. Oh right, Ferengi would have liked it. I was thinking about that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and Remick like. He's he kind of he does he like what is he doing when he, with the creature? Doesn't he? He already has one in him, right? He has, he has the big mother mama, creature in there. Mother. Right. Okay. So this other one is like just coming home to mama. What yeah, I guess it? so. Yeah. Coming yeah. in to, right. to suckle or something. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> the the scene the scene where Data's doing the research is is kind of humorous. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The computer the computer shuts him up the way we're still seeing other characters. <laughs> yeah, shut the him computer up. has comic timing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't. Know if that ever happened before? Uh, one of the websites I read—I don't I'm not even positive this is true—but said this is the only time in Star Trek where the computer says "I." It says "I understand." <laughs> huh. I don't know if that's true, but that—that's funny. Um, so that was that was interesting. Um, yeah, I you know I like seeing Data doing that sort of thing. Just as Picard puts it, that's a uh, that's right up Data's alley. 
<sighs> but it's a, uh, it's just a shame that, yeah. Well, the, ni- well, the nice, the nice thing, like I said, they did, they don't continue the storyline. It dies here, and then, um, in the next episode, we're going to talk about, we're going to get to start talking about a new storyline that, that they, they hinted. Yeah. But they will continue it. For the record, uh, they do continue the Worms storyline here in some of the novels. And I think one of the comic books, too. Um, but I never read any of those because I didn't like the storyline. <laughs> um, it is kind of cool that they would have the audacity to end the episode with kind of like a, you know, a scary they kind of mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of try to cliffhanger it like, ooh, we're going to come back to this. Yeah, but in, in a subtle, like, little easy <clears> way, just kind of lingering on the stars. That that's that's with some you know ominous music. That's kind of cool. If the episode had been good, that would have been yeah yeah really cool. And of course, I have I don't mind that they never came back to this storyline since I don't like this episode. In fact, I'm grateful that they never came back to this storyline. Well, in a, well, in a weird way, this kind of felt like more of a season-ending episode than the next one. We're that's gonna... another thought I had too, though. Was I'm so glad that this was not the final episode of the season. Mm. Yeah, I think that would have left a bad taste. Yeah, yeah. And even even if you liked this episode, it would have left the wrong tone for track, you know. Mm. It's so uh, grotesque and uh, so wormy. Uh, does it, yeah. Does it seem? Uh, final thing before if we try to do something for what it's about. Does it seem like? Does do they go too far like with the grotesqueness and? Not, not even really dark. I don't think it's that incredibly dark, but it's definitely grotesque. You know what it reminded me of? The movie The Hidden, the '80s movie. Remember that one? No, no. Uh, no. Well, the hidden, the storyline of the hidden was that these, this, these creatures. It was kind of a cop chasing this guy across the galaxy, but all you see is the, the worm-like creature that takes over one human after another to try and escape. Um, um, anyway, um, did did you feel like? Does it seem like they go too far, or is it just? since we're not really taking the episode all that seriously because it's not very good and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have an opinion on that if it was quality. And then you'd say, oh, they kind of made it silly with the effects or the the gross effects. But since it's it's all bad anyway, it's just kind of, I, I don't really care, I guess. You know, yeah. it just doesn't really matter to me. Do we have anything for what it's about? <clears throat> Peaceful coexistence. And trust no one. <laughs> 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 Both of those at the same time. <laughs> the only way you can peacefully coexist is by trusting no one. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't, I don't remember that phaser setting either. That explode one's head thing. That's <laughs> another question too. Do they? Do they like? Okay, so uh, Crusher says I can't remove the worm from Quinn without killing him. Uh, then because. Picard and Riker kill Mama Worm that's inside Remick. Now, Baby Worm inside Quinn just crawls out and dies, I guess. And Quinn it's like comes Dracula. back. It's like Dracula. You kill the yeah, source okay. and then the other So does out. that mean that yeah. that um, Picard and Riker killed all those other admirals and the captain that they didn't need to? Hmm. Interesting maybe, question. Maybe. They did kill them, right? They didn't just stun them all. I'm not really for sure. I thought Quinn was dead, and then he's alive. I, you know, it's who's <laughs> dead, who lives. It's it's hard to tell in this episode. Well, do you have anything for what it's about, Adam? Uh, it's a good practice episode for continuing, you know, story arcs that they're going to continue on in yeah, the that's future. Not what it's about. <laughs> 
No, I, I don't really have anything. No, I can't think of anything. Can we even make anything up? No. All right, so by the definition of our... Uh, by the, the point of our podcast, we do not have an answer for what it's about, thus supporting the idea that this is not a, an episode that holds up. <sighs> Was it better or worse than you remembered? It's about the same. Yeah, same. All right, let's move on. Six degrees for conspiracy. What is our score? Let's see. We're you tied. Going, yeah. yeah, you're tied one to one. All right. Um, Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. Henry Darrow plays the Admiral Savar, just a regular Vulcan that likes to eat worms when an alien is wrapped around his brainstem and has a snorkel jutting out of his neck. Mm. He later <laughs> played Jakote's father, Kolpak, in Voyager's second season. Uh, Kolopak. Uh, name the episode where Chakotay remembers a camping trip with his father when he finds symbols on an alien world that remind him of his Native American heritage. I always like the name of this episode. I guess that's why I ask it. Gosh, I remember that episode, but... Um, symbols? No. Mm. Mr. Caesar. Um, I think we're going to remain tied for the moment, Steve, because I have no idea. <laughs> Tattoo. Oh, yes. <clears throat> All right. Adam. Yes. Ray, yes. Ray Reinhardt plays Vice Admiral Aaron, just a normal guy that, when shot in the hallway, has an alien worm exit his body and join up with Remick in the adjoining office. In Voyager's first season, in the episode Ex Post Facto, Reinhardt played Professor Tolan Wren. Which member of Voyager's crew is originally convicted of murdering the professor? It's a very early episode, I remember. Very early. Convicted of murdering the professor? Yeah, the whole episode is, is trying to prove this person's in, uh, innocence. Uh, Tuvok? No. Steve? Uh, was it uh, Paris? You are correct. It was Paris. Oh. Two to one. Moving on. The Neutral Zone, Season 1, Episode 25, Production Number 126, Original Air Date, May 16, 1988, Directed by James L. Conway, Story by Deborah McIntyre and Mona Klee, Teleplay by Maurice Hurley, Music Composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Mark Alamo as T-Bock, Anthony James as Tay, Leon Rippey as L.Q. Sonny Clemens, Gracie Harrison as Claire Raymond, and Peter Mark Richmond as Ralph Offenhaus. Waiting for Captain Picard's return from a Federation conference, the Enterprise crew discovers a disabled 20th century Earth satellite containing three perfectly preserved bodies, frozen for over 300 years by cryogenics. Upon his return, Picard informs the crew that they are being sent to the outskirts of the neutral zone, where two Federation outposts have been destroyed. The ship that has been chosen to investigate the potentially volatile incidents, which may or may not have been executed by hostile Robulans as a prelude to war. You and the others were frozen. Uh, uh, cryonics, you know, it's a freeze you now and heal you later. Yeah, I've heard of it. I just never gave it much thought. How did we get here? You were in a space module. The wacko that sold me this scam said that by putting us in orbit, there wasn't going to be no chance of a brownout. Okay, so thank God this was the season ender and not um, conspiracy. Um, now, I seem to like this episode more than the average person who thinks this episode is, has a lot of problems. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. 
Um, but I, I kind of enjoy this episode. I think it does a lot of things right. Um, so, of course, the producer's complaint was that the writer's strike was in full force and they, you know, it's kind of like, you know, reading about it, it, it reminded me of the stories about J.J. Uh, Abrams' first Star Trek movie uh, where they were shooting the movie during a writer's strike. So, technically, they couldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. But they would, like, you know, hint around to, like, the writers they would sit to, or to the encouragement, they would say, we know you can't write it, but... If this character in this scene was going to say something, what do you think he would say? You know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know, and that's the kind of thing I heard about, especially the last uh, act of this script, um, which was not written when they started shooting, and the writers were all on strike now. Um, so, it, you know, it has it has some of those kind of problems, but I actually like some of the writing. Um, well, I'll remember what I was about to say. Who, Steve, was that you about to say something? No, mm-hmm. that was Adam. Oh, I was gonna say, um, yeah, I like this episode too. Um, it has a definite A and B story. I don't think they match very well with each other. Um, which, uh, like, you know, we've ta- I'm, I don't want to go into it. We talked about this a lot for the first season, but it kind of works. Um, I think I think the first time you watch this episode, you kind of get the feeling of Space Seed from the original series. You're like, oh, cryogenics, people, yeah. blah blah. blah. Um, but like I said, it's kind of disconjointed just because, you know, you have kind of, you know, these three people from, you know, 300 years ago, and obviously they're acclimating to where they're at now. And then on the other hand, you have this very serious situation, Romulans in the neutral zone. I think I would have preferred um, to see more of that. I think we saw well, more of the, the three, um, you know, 20th century people than we saw more of the, you know, the, that, the Romulan story. What's kind of neat about it is this is one of the few times where um, having the two storylines that are a little different and maybe don't have enough thematic unity, where they actually did play well off each other, given that they were different. Like, it gave you the chance to do that scene where um, the Wall Street guy uh, is on the bridge when we first see the Romulans, and, and he can offer that outsider's point of view. They don't have a clue who did this. They're hoping you know, but they're too arrogant to ask. You know, I I kind of like that scene, um, which obviously you couldn't you couldn't have um, without it. So that it's almost like the juxtaposition of this simpler, almost humorous, certainly much lighter storyline with this incredibly serious first time we've seen the Robins in five decades, and oh my god, is there going to be a interstellar war? It it almost works. It it almost like heightens the two of them. Like for example, another example. Uh, the scene where Southern Boy, whatever his name is, um, it's it's I think it's one of his last scenes. It's probably his last scene with just him and Data, and he has like he has the thing. Anybody got a guitar? And I like Data's response, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then but then he says, uh, Data tells him about the Romulans, and uh, and Southern guy says, we won't be inviting these Romulans to our party. And Data's response is, no, that would not be appropriate. But the way he says it, it's not funny. Mm-hmm. The way he delivers the line and the way the music is there before it and it's building up to this moment that you're waiting for, mm-hmm. it actually makes it seem like, oh, oh, oh crap. You know, this is this is this is really ominous. You know, it it made it seem a lot more dramatic to me. Um and then of course um, we get the scene when they arrive, and I think the build up to finally seeing that Romulan ship, and of course the design, this first time we've seen that Romulan design, it's a really cool looking ship and all that stuff. I think that it actually accentuated and helped build all that stuff up because of this other storyline uh had such a different tone. Which is, you know, maybe I you wouldn't think it should work that way, but in this one instance, I I kinda think it worked. It against logic, when <laughs> David delivers that line, no, that would not be appropriate. It actually seemed like 
you know what it is? It's almost like even Data, the guy that we know literally has no emotions, is emotional. He sounds afraid a little bit, in a way. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you, Brian. I, I do think it works. But like when I, when you look back at these episodes, you don't remember. At least I didn't remember the Romulan stuff. You just remember the three people that were yeah, from the 20th true. century. And watching this over again, I'm like, okay, I remember all this stuff. And then it's like, oh yeah, this has also got Romulans in it. And it's, I, you know, it's just the the fanboy in me going, oh, I'd like to see more the, the Romulan stuff. And I'd like to see the Romulan episode. <clears throat> Obviously, we'll get that later on. But that was just kind of like my disappointment. Kind of just like, uh, you know, well, leaves you hanging there. You think about it from the original series. Um, mm-hmm. Balance of Terror, first time we, we see the Romulans, uh, figuratively and literally. Um, that's one of my favorite, I mean, that's probably, that's certainly my top five, maybe even top three episodes of the original series. I love that episode. I, that's one of those episodes, I think I've watched it, like, just put it on repeat before, you know? <laughs> I love that episode. Um, so I'm definitely a, Rom, a fan of the Romulans, and I'm definitely a fan of introducing them in kind of a mysterious way. You think about yeah. how they were introduced in that episode? Um. So they, you know, they they take their time, and it's kind of percolating. But yeah, the, there's a distinct A and B story here. Um, Steve, you've been kind of quiet here. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I mean, I would. Uh, I think I think what why it, that kind of might work a little bit in this case with the juxtaposition is also because we can under we understand those characters. I mean, they're. I mean, not to say we don't understand the. Yeah, usual characters, but these are in our time more or less, you know. And so, it, in a way, it creates a window of here's how you would feel if you were all of a sudden on a ship, and now you know some ominous enemy you don't understand is coming too. I mean, it's already a foreign environment; it's strange, and now you got to digest that too. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of it. But. Was I the only person that actually thought about, like, especially with this the woman, right, the 35 year old mom? She mm-hmm. just had like an embolism in her head, so she was probably just. You know, she's probably at home, Yeah. Uh, you know, watching the television, which we know doesn't make it past 2040, according to this episode. Hmm. Uh, she was probably at home just doing whatever, and then all of a sudden, she Boom. wakes up in sick bay. And sees war. Yeah, and yeah. sees war, right. Was that the only person that thought, okay, I don't want to give up my family now, but certainly years ago, I would have think this, or maybe... Your was that the only person that thought, maybe that'd be kind of cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. intriguing, the notion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that that first scene though, and so not that scene when they first wake up, but the very next one, the first like full scene with with the three of them awake, they're sitting down. I think it's Riker in there. <clears throat> Data has the line, very unusual, actually giving a year. It says the year uh, from your calendar, the year is now twenty three sixty four. Because of that uh, comment, we can track the like the remainder of up until Enterprise starts. That's such an important line that they just yep. made up at the time, and and that's uh-huh. that. You know, we know the year from then on. Yeah, everything before and after. Very. Although he has a line earlier in the season where he says he graduated from Starfleet Academy class of '78. Yeah, generally it's regarded that that was they they don't think of <laughs> I don't know what they think of that, but that's kind of thought of as a throwaway, you know. So they don't. They're not saying he graduated in 2278. They're not saying that he graduated. No, they didn't because in in data lore we established that it hasn't been right right it hasn't been 70 years since he hurt no more than that 90 or something stupid since he graduated yeah. since he was found yeah. so okay so that was 78 something else it was probably 78 you know starfleet uh stardate time sure so, there you go <laughs> whatever it was. we can't understand but very clearly without question he does say the year according to your calendar which would be 
us. Uh, 2364. Anyway, that scene, um, you know, and then you've got uh, Wall Street guy who says, like, do you at least have a copy of the Wall Street Journal? <laughs> that whole scene, like, because we meet these characters, we very quickly see what their kind of, their core issue is. Um, core wound, as they, as, they, as they call it in my, in my writing classes. Um, I really like that scene. We, we find out about these characters. They find out about their situation. We, the audience, learn something. I don't know. I, I thought that. And also, you know, uh, from a production standpoint, to me, like the hardest thing to produce is a scene with a bunch of people standing in one room or sitting in one room talking and to keep it interesting. You know, and I'm and I'm glued to the set. That scene, I think, is a I think it's a, certainly the best episode a scene in this episode. Um, I think it's a really good scene, and, and um, I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they 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 kind of hint at in the scenes before that too. We should at least mention they humorously they hint about like Data deciding to take them to not leave them in that station. Or not a station. It's not really a space station. It's like a derelict spacecraft or whatever you want to call, mm-hmm. call it. Uh, I do like that. Who has the line about, you know, I thawed them out. <laughs> I thawed them out. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded like a Beavis and Butthead line. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but Ricard has a line about um, they were already dead, you know. Mm-hmm. Didn't that seem, that seem a little harsh? Did it did. Yeah, that? yeah. It did. I mean, Data yeah. should have told Picard, but... You you know what? Look what you have here. This is a, this is such a huge find. You know, I mean, I know the whole Romulan thing. It's important. They can't, but come on, you can't throw it away. Like, oh, we should have just left him there. I mean, because that's that's the next. That's what's unsaid. Is it feels like he's saying you should have left him there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is yeah. a bit harsh. They were already dead. <laughs> so is that uh, Picard out of character because of season one, or is he just? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we can forgive it like that. Um. But yeah, there is a question about the ethics of of kind of reviving them. That they they kind of hint around at just in those couple of scenes, and then they they really don't go back to that the rest of the episode. Probably good because, like you said, the 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 ultimate answer to that question, if you go the other direction, is to to leave them dead. Really, it centers around the idea that if if they were revivable, then they kind of weren't dead, right? Mm-hmm. right? If they're dead, then yeah, they're dead, and you can leave them. But if they were were revivable. It doesn't well, it goes matter back. if they weren't if they weren't revivable in their time. If they're revivable now, then and you can do it, then they're not dead. Well, this is this some this is just semantics, and it's not only Star Trek that's dealt with that. It's real life. I mean, how many times have we heard stories about so and so? He was he was legally dead for whatever minutes, and they revived him. Well, what's that mean then? You know, if you can revive him and he's dead, then then apparently it's not final. You know, so it's 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 kind of semantics. Of you know. Well, I mean, you know, you you look at Futurama, all the heads, and it's in reality, <laughs> what Ted Williams' head is somewhere in a cryogenics freezer somewhere. Mm-hmm, like, so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's it was more. I think it was more of a fad in the '80s, and but I think people still do it today. But it's kind of silliness now. I, but yeah, I mean, what is dead? I mean, I guess that definition hasn't been answered with cryogenics. If that can actually happen, if Ted Williams can actually be, you know manifested into a, a jar, you know, <laughs> talking to Fry 3,000 years from now. Who knows? Well, there, there is something, I mean, this is probably getting a little off topic, but there is something interesting to it just because certainly the kind of things we can do today would have seemed 
so incredibly ludicrously uh, out of the realm of possibility. It would have seemed like magic to people from just a few hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know, who's to say that that um, Crusher would won't be, more be able like- to revive them? What would be more likely, I think, is like, you know, you freeze these people, you basically you, you preserve their DNA. It would be more likely that they could be cloned yeah. hundreds of years from now. <clears throat> you, know, uh, you know, out of those three, the woman is really the only one I can understand her reaction to any of it. You know, I, I, can, I can understand yeah. all of it. The others, they seem like in their own way kind of like idiotic. You know, it, it seems like really, you know, if, if you could grasp that you basically were shut down and brought back in 400 years, you'd really think that so many of the things you're familiar with are still be hanging around, you know, like Wall Street journals and guitars and stuff. Yeah, well, I think the problem, and this is the kind of thing where, like even that scene I said that I really like, you know, this is the kind of thing where you can see the writing short, the shortcoming of the writing. Like it it needed another pass. It didn't get it because the writer's strike happened. Mm. So you've got like the outline of these characters. You've got no depth to them so you've just you know they're 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 very shallow it's just and i don't mean shallow like the person is shallow i mean like the writing right. is shallow they you know the right the wall street guy is i'm calling him the wall street guy because i can't remember his damn name you know yeah. he's the wall street guy and that's all he talks about that's all he is you know so, but you're right you know the one character of the three that kind of actually has some writing to her is is the woman the 35 year old mom that died of the embolism you know and and we get like a scene with her uh with troy you know it's funny like this is a slightly side comment but troy all the time like um when she's counseling people i think is that what a counselor would do that just seems like something i would think to do not like a counselor (laughs) you know like so anyway but but her her thing when she sees this woman is really upset is to say hey let's see if we can look up your ancestors are still around yeah, they just go on. They go on. Um, you know, the equivalent to Facebook, which I, right. you know, Star Trek invented Facebook, as you can see in this right, episode. Right. Right now. So it doesn't seem like a very like. Do you have to go to counseling school for years to think of that? I don't know. <laughs> but regardless, um, you know, that's that's <laughs> that's um, that's a like a character motivation. That's a desire. That's a that's a piece of drama that we that we can relate to. We can understand. Um, and that's nothing that we would have gotten from those other characters. The other two. Uh, 20th century characters because they had uh, no development the way that, that she did. So, yeah, and, you know, I, I agree that they were overall um, shallow and needed to be fleshed out uh, better and so that they could react more uh, genuinely to the situation. Because it is, it is a bit farcical that the Wall Street guy is just asking about his holdings or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, overall, I, I I I enjoy this episode. I do. I um, we're gonna talk about the end scene, the possibility. Is it, is it just me, or is the are the Borg introduced kind of in this episode? Yeah, I, I think I I always assumed that that was a reference here. I don't know what how much of it was intentional, but with yeah, the instruction. so it was intentional. This was originally supposed to be. Originally, it was kind of planned to be kind of a three part. Uh, episodes, three episodes that were going to introduce the Borg, the new baddies that were going to be the replacements for the failed Frankie. That was the general idea. Unfortunately, the writer strike boffed it all up. So we just had this, and then we're not going to even mention the Borg again for quite a while. But that wasn't. But yes, this was Borg. Well, don't we get the second season Q episode? Is this mm-hmm. there is season? one in the mid second season? Yeah. Yes. That's, that, that's where Q the Q actually kind of introduces. Mm-hmm. It's a good episode if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, 
Uh, that's one of the ones they played at the uh, at that Fathom event. Um, so I, I I like this episode. I think it's a good episode, uh, and it's kind of a good one despite the odds. It's not it's not great, but it's good, and it's certainly a much better way to go out uh, than conspiracy. Um, it, I mean, it literally ends with Picard talking about while well, he's telling Wall Street guy. Um, you know, the challenge is to improve yourself, to enrich yourself. Or, um, uh, who is it? Jordy has a line about um, uh, helping the 20th century folks get home faster or something. They could spend some more time with them. Anyway, then Picard has the line. No, our mission is to go forward, and it's just begun. You know, it's a very, it's a mm-hmm. very nice little wrap up, and looking sure. forward to the future, and and that's very cool. Um, maybe you could argue that Berman and Braga forgot that line when they created Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <clears throat> I like this episode. Uh, what do you guys have for what it's about? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I can really only kind of, kind of what you spoke of with Picard making some statements. I know I, I, it's, what's memorable to me is when he talks about life is about the challenges, you know, when, when often house is asking what's the point, you know, that, that struck out. I don't know if that's a thing. What's a whole, I, I had trouble wrapping it up in one way, but that's certainly a memorable notion from the episode for me. The he notion. says, you know, the challenge is to improve yourself, to enrich yourself. You need to think about, we didn't even mention how that whole sequence when the Romulans are first showing up, you've got every other character around Picard t- basically telling him, mm-hmm. take some kind of offensive action. Raise the shields, arm, arm the photon torpedoes, you know, be ready to attack. Um, and Picard fighting, at least I for sure remember both Worf and Riker encouraging him to yeah. do that. So, at least, so certainly more than one person. Um, and every time uh, Picard's reaction is, no, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not who we want to be. That's not who we should be. Um, in this situation in particular, we have to be bigger than that. Um, and, of course, he was right, and that's the whole reason that um, – uh, the Romulans do not attack them, and they sort of introduce, introduce, begin some form of cooperation. Um, but, you know, that's an example of every force kind of telling you to stay with the static, status quo. Do not, do not evolve, right? But Picard's insisting on evolving, improving, <clears throat> enriching. Um, he also took he also took Counselor Troy advice, counter punches. So he didn't initiate anything there. <laughs> Uh, you got anything what it's about, Adam? Um, like I said, I had a hard time kind of pinpointing what this one's about. I mean, you could, you know, <clears throat> the past and the future, moving forward, um, um, bettering humanity. I mean, it kind of has some. I mean, if you want to look at it in this way, like you said, it's kind of got some broad Star Trek theme, uh, theat- thematics in it. You know, about it bettering yourself, not through wealth and possessions, just the challenges of life, and you, you see those themes throughout Star Trek, and, and that's why we love it. But like for as like a pinpoint, really, what this episode's about, I, I can, can't really say for sure. Okay, um, I think we can. Ryan? Yes? 
Do you, Brian? Is that what do you think it's about, or is that what you what you said before? Oh. No, no, yeah, that's what I, that's what I think it's about. I think it's about um, um, uh, adapting and and evolving. You know, and and we're going to be constantly placed in these uh, positions uh, where we have to react, but just because we have to react doesn't mean we can't um, learn from them and, and become better and better and better. And, you know, we talk about, that's another thing too, uh, Picard's line there in response to Wall Street guy, what's his name? Offenhaus? Yeah, mm-hmm. you said it, Steve. Okay. Uh, see, I was, we were, I was fine with calling him Wall Street guy and then you had to use his name. <laughs> um, Picard's uh, response to Offenhaus when Offenhaus says, I, my life was about making money, and you don't do that here. Now what do I do? Picard's response to that when he says, you know, the challenge is to improve yourself, to enrich yourself. Um, when people ask me why I love Star Trek so much, that's, that's my response, because is that it postulates that in the future, that will be mankind's sole reason for existence. And it's such a simple, beautiful idea um, and it gives me such hope every time I see um, the, some of the crappy things that go go on in you know today on planet Earth. Um, to just to 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 believe that at our core, if if we were able to get all this other crap out of the way, that's what humans would do. You know, um, they would just work to better humanity, um, and it's what they would instinctively want to do. Um, if we could just get all this other stuff out of the way. Um, now, you know, maybe Star Trek says, you know, talks about how we get that stuff out of the way, for example, with the technology um, as being a big part of it. That, that's, that's a different part of the conversation, and that's fine and good. But, you know, if that's what Star Trek is at its core, is this fundamental belief um, in humanity and Picard's lines there kind of wrap it up and, I, and I'm talking about this and it's not like this episode is full on about that but I think that it hints enough at it that you know it made me think about it and reminded me why I like Star Trek and that's a <laughs> that's a great thing too mm-hmm. um, so I like this episode and maybe that's part of why I like it um, it actually discusses these questions about um, a hopeful future um, and how we can evolve and that that's what we should be doing and since that happens to be exactly why I love Star Trek you know, maybe that's why I like it so we've gone over on this one which is good because it's the end of season one so six degrees for the neutral zone I believe our score is two Steve, one Adam yep <coughs> All right. Uh, who chose first last time? Steve? Mm-hmm. Adam, you going first or second? Oh, I'll go first. Mark Alamo plays the Romulan Tabak. Of course, we know him best for his DS9 work, but here he plays one of the first Romulans seen on Next Gen. In Next Gen's fourth season, in the episode The Wounded, he plays a character named Maset. Maset is the first time we see another species. What species is Maset? Cardassian. You are correct, Cardassian. Two to two, Steve for the win. Mm-hmm. We don't discover that the Borg are responsible for the destruction of the settlements until the second season, as you guys mentioned earlier. 
But what you didn't say was the name of the episode. What is the name of that episode where we first see the Borg? In the middle oh my of the goodness! Get all mixed. <laughs> I get all those mixed up, man. Um, it probably has a certain letter in it. Yes, yes. Yeah, I assumed as much. Gosh, uh, I'll just pick one. Uh, Q who? You are correct. It was Q who. Three to two. All Steve right. takes it. <laughs> All right, uh, let's very quickly do a little season one kind of recap. So um, I'm glad we made it through season one. I'm really excited to talk about season two. Uh, looking back for me, um, I, I don't think it changed. You know, my memory was that one one zero zero one zero zero one. The binaries episode was was the only really great episode for me. I still pretty much feel that way. Although I was surprised how many of the episodes that's from season one that I remembered as being bad really weren't they just they were just okay but they weren't that bad there were only a couple that were truly 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 wretched and even those i enjoyed watching because they were star trek and i got to see them in hd which was nice um but um maybe the one thing that um i do feel a little bit differently about than i used to well let me rephrase i feel the same but even more so uh was how much credit i give Encounter at Farpoint. Not, not for being the greatest episode, um, but for so creating everything about the universe for the majority of what I think of as Star Trek. You know, you had the original series, which was kind of its own universe. Frankly, it was even different than the original series movies, which were a bit of a different looking and feeling universe, which makes sense because it was, you know, fit, they started like 15 years almost after the series. Um, but next gen DS9 Voyager and to an extent even Enterprise, they all feel like they came out of Encounter at Farpoint in a way, and um, certainly uh, next gen DS9 Voyager. And it's it's hard. I mean, you know, it's fair to give Far- Farpoint a lot of credit for that. So you know, I did before, but I think now I give it even more. You know, it really was remarkable how much they kind of created out of thin air for that show. That's for that episode. You know, um, they had to make some changes in the season one, so certainly that's what it feels like season one's been uh, more than anything else is not necessarily trying to find the characters. I think we're going to be doing that over the next couple of seasons. And we all probably agree season three ish uh, is where Next Gen starts to reach its stride, certainly by the end of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, they're not really doing a lot of character work here, and uh, and for the most part, the episodes that I felt were weaker, that was the problem. We talked about all that, um, but just just kind of feeling out the tone and and stuff like that, which is that I think they did such a great job. It's it's so you know it's so easy to get it wrong, and nobody rem- nobody. Nobody remembers that because either those shows never even make it onto the air, uh, or if they do, they're they're killed so quickly, you know. But in, but in a lot of ways, the fact that they that they took this twenty year old television show and and made a a genuine sequel and basically struck the same blood the same magic that they did the first time around, which was already uh, incredibly remarkable that a show could do that. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. You guys have any kind of closing thoughts here for season one? Like what you um, know? Um, I would agree. Um, I would still say um, Encounter is my favorite episode one and two from the first season. Um, 
just it, and it may not if you're first watching Star Trek, you may not have that um, that opinion. Um, and I say that given hindsight, um, and it just to kind of allude what Brian said, it it sets everything up for what we see going forward, and that's why um that's why I can still watch Farpoint over and over again. I wouldn't say it's the best episode um, you'll see in Star Trek, but not only does it set up all the series that we see um, from here out to come, it also sets up really this tone that what we're going to see in um, Star Trek Next Generation, not only with with the thematic arc that we're going to see with Q, and we're going to see that all throughout um, this series, um, and then it kind of sets up that pattern with DS9 where we have this thematic arc, and obviously you see it in Voyager, not so much in Enterprise, but um, that the style is, is started in Farpoint. And... Um, Looking back at this season, there's not really any episodes that I really totally dislike that I wouldn't ever watch again. But there's not really any episodes that I would that I truly love either. I mean, there's good solid ones like Data Lore. I like where no one's gone before. I mean, the only really goofy one that I can kind of see is Angel One. Um, <laughs> well, um, what was the name of the? Um, is it Justice? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. yeah, Justice yeah, that, is pretty wretched. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's no, an, I not would just, not justice. A- a- wait, Angel One is the Wesley. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the no. Ju- justice is the one where he falls into the flowers. Okay, well, I thought no, that was Angel so One. Not, no. what, Angel oh, One is the uh, the women okay. run the planet and all that. Okay, I got him. Okay, okay, what's that's the African Americans? No, that's a uh, code of honor. Okay, code of honor. I think is the truly wretched episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I got him confused. I wasn't talking. So. Sorry, Angel One isn't the one I was talking. I was talking about the the Wesley and the flowers. That's mm. just it's just really goofy. But I can watch it just because it's mm-hmm. so over the top goofy. Um, but um, season one's okay. It's it's an okay series. It's an okay start. Um, I don't know if it would have continued if it wasn't Star Trek. I don't know if anybody would have picked it up because I don't think it had enough solid ground. But I mean, it's Star Trek, and I'm glad it kept going, and um, it gets better from here on out. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with pretty much all you guys have said. Uh, some of the standout episodes for me, Encounter at Farpoint, Data Lore, and of course the Binars episode. And uh, yeah, I would agree. You know, it's easy to take for granted, as we've said, that, that it's, this began a whole, you know, uh, whatever it is, 18 years of Trek. And so we kind of, you know, yeah, it had a lot, there are a lot of problems and things that first seasons of series often have, but is it really worse than the first season of DS9 or Voyager and so on, especially when you consider that they're creating, essentially creating a universe in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's Star Trek, it already exists, but yeah, as you've already alluded to, it's uh, it's it's very different than what we've seen in the original series and the movies. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're, it's a good start. It's um, There's some not so great stuff, but it only gets better from here, you know. I don't know. I guess when we talk when we talk about Voyager, would you say Voyager probably had the best season one series? Because I don't remember DS9's first se- season being all that great either. But... Well, Voyager's first season was pretty short. Well, maybe that's why it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that pilot though. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have made it through Next Gen's first season. Thank you so much for sticking with us because it's just going to get better and better. So uh, we're excited to kick off uh, Next Gen's second season in two weeks. Uh, Till then, follow us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Uh, follow us on Twitter at trekcompanion. Our email is trekcompanion at gmail.com. The coolest thing you could do would be leave us a review on iTunes, because that's how people find us. Uh, we do this for free, and uh, 
that's what makes it fun. Uh, it's more and more people finding us. So thanks again for sticking with us, and uh, we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. See you. Bye.